0: reading this morning is taken from first Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 20 I shall be reading from the English Standard Version first Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 20 verse 12 I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever Amen verse 18 this chart I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. May God help us to hear his word.
1: I'd like to invite you to turn again to 1 Timothy. As we look together and revisit this series that we have called A Believe, Belong, Behave. Remember uh, We don't want to separate this, even though we can't talk about everyone every week. Uh, This week, uh, I want to talk about grandchildren. Uh, I just got back from spending eight days with our grandchildren, and I learned some things from our grandchildren. This uh, boy's name is Ian, which is unfortunate. It means I need to be a better man to represent the name. I learned some things from being around my grandchildren for eight days. First of all, as a grandfather, I'm really only good for three days. After three days, grandchildren should go back to their parents. Now, this, this isn't a word I got from the Lord. This is just my personal opinion. These are precious grandchildren, but after a while, uh, a grandfather gets a- exhausted. A grandmother doesn't, apparently, because Sherry's going to be there for another two weeks. But I learned something else from this young man. Don't, please, he's not cute. Uh, there's something residing in this young man that is too much like his grandfather. He constantly has this need to entertain himself. He has a one-year-old sister named Joy, and I was just watching him entertain himself with his little sister Joy because she would get up with great effort to her feet, and then he'd go running up to her and stop right in her face, and of course she would wobble and fall down, and he thought that was hilarious. So funny that he kept doing it, and, and now, if my son was there, because this is millennial parenting, he would just get down and look him in the eye and say, little Ian, and rationalize with him. But I'm of an older generation, so I stood up high and said, stop that! <laughs> and and he, imme- he immediately said, joy cannot stand properly. Like, it's right away not his fault, it's right away Joy's fault for being one. And, and, and I pointed that out to Sherry, and Sherry, of course, made me feel bad for being judgmental because she's a grandmother, but, but a few minutes later, while I was still feeling guilty, he started helping his ama, meaning Sherry, pick up the house, and I said, wow, Ian, you're such a good little helper. And he said, I know. It's because I'm awesome. And then he pulled like this John Cha flex, because I'm awesome. <laughs> you know, that's so us, right? He's three years old and has already learned how to blame his sister for everything he does wrong and blame himself for everything he does right. That, that's our character. Our behavior is not, not really our fault We got it from our parents or our our grandparents. So this morning, we're going to be taking a few minutes talking about the miracle of good behavior. Now, I'm shortening this message up a bit, so you're going to have to listen in a hurry. I I want to honor the time. We've had a lot packed into our, our, our message in our service today. The miracle of good behavior. And here's what I feel like you want to be listening for. First, from a biblical perspective, good behavior is evidence of the miracle of new birth. It's not our great heritage. It's not our personal discipline. Good behavior from the biblical perspective is a result of the patient grace of God. In His mercy, He enables us to replace the behaviors of our flesh with the behaviors of His Spirit. That is what you should be listening for in this text. So first... From the Apostle Paul, good behavior flows out of a spirit of gratitude. I don't know if you've noticed this, but gratitude generally is evidence of a sense of indebtedness. Like the person in the the world who feels entitled, the, the person who feels like the whole world owes them a living, they tend to not be that grateful. In fact, they almost tend to be a little resentful. Somebody else got that job, and they're just outraged by that. You know, they just don't have a sense of gratitude. But children who recognize all that their parents have done for them, they express this attitude of thanksgiving. That's why we have a Mother's Day. She gave us life, right? There's a a sense of gratitude. This is Singapore. I know we're all very kiasu, but not many of us planned our own birth. We're not that awesome, right? Birth is something that happens to us. That's why believers ought to have this sense of gratitude. That's why even in our behaviors, it's not because we have particular merit. It's it's not because we engage in self-discipline. It's because birth happened to us. We're objects of his grace, and we can see it in the Apostle Paul when he says this in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, what? Like you were with us last year, many of us, when we walked through the book of Acts, when we met the apostle Paul, his name wasn't Paul, he wasn't an apostle, his name was Saul, and he was not faithful. When Jesus encountered him, he was not faithful. So how in the world can Paul say now, he, I thank him because he has given me strength, Jesus Christ my Lord, he judged me to be faithful. See, this is a God thing and that's why you shouldn't get so discouraged if this week you failed Christ in some way and then you projected to Sunday and you went, oh, for Sunday, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and will I have to let the elements pass because i failed Him this way? No, God judges us faithful because He is so certain of the power of His call that when He calls, He gives strength. For even someone like Ian to be faithful. He speaks of something I know not as if it is. And you should remember that in every week, with every unfaithful thought you have, you are sometimes not faithful, but God is. That's why the Apostle Paul had this, spirit of thanksgiving. I thank Him because of this unique quality of God at work in our lives. We can live thankfully. Well, second, good behavior is informed by Scripture. Now, it's important to remember that there was no apostle, no disciple, no follower of Jesus that was more influential than this man, the Apostle Paul. In fact, many scholars believe this one man turned the course of Christianity. He changed the future of Christianity. Why scholars write? Because he wasn't like the other 12. This was a man who was literate. He could sign his own name to his letters. He didn't have to dictate his letters. He was educated. He was more educated. He was more competent. He had more social connections than any other follower of Christ before him. But the Apostle Paul did not view himself through his resume. And and whenever we do that, whenever we view ourselves through the names men call us or through our own competencies, our skill sets, we will either become a a self-denigrated, short-reaching person or we'll become insufferable. The Apostle Paul's self image was not informed by his resume, it was informed by the Word of God. And so this man helps me understand myself. He's a 19th century Scottish theologian, James Denny, who said this It is very difficult to show that Christ is magnificent and I am clever at the same time. That's countercultural. Because everything in my culture teaches me, hone your skills, develop your platform presence. But that is defining my abilities by my abilities instead of by God's. And so this is how The Apostle Paul judged himself, though formerly, when I met Christ, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I received mercy because I had acted out of ignorance and unbelief. Now, that ought to make me a little nervous, right? Because I'm not ignorant. I'm not an unbeliever. How does the most biblically literate generation in the history of Christendom respond to this knowledge that mercy comes when there's ignorance, but we know stuff. I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of God overflowed in me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving and full of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." It may be that some of you are sitting here right now thinking, ah, I am the foremost. I have thoughts, I've had behaviors, I've fruited out my thoughts this week in ways that were shameful. Remember there is mercy, not because we're deserving of it. If we were, we wouldn't be grateful. See, grateful people get a job and they thank the Lord for it, but nobody who has a job is grateful for your salary, right? You work for that. The Apostle Paul felt grateful because he didn't get what he deserved and what he did not deserve, he received. That is the mercy of God. Third, good behavior is expressed by praise I'm really not sure I worded that properly Uh, here's how It happens, because I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him in eternal life. Now, even though he's writing this to Timothy, 1 Timothy is a letter addressed in Timothy's name, but was circulated to all the churches. 2 Timothy, he addresses with personal issues in Timothy's church, but this one is a broader letter to the whole church, so he's suggesting this to all of us. This is good news, because remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He is the great defender of the faith. He introduced the world to Christian apologetics, and yet what he's saying here is, here I have received mercy, not so that I could be very skillful in in debating with non-believers. See, he's talking about evangelism. I received mercy not so that I could be a great defender of the faith. He he received mercy so that Christ's perfect patience could be on display. That's why your story is important. That's why I'm unashamed to say I'm ADHD. I'm unashamed to say I was 20 before I finished high school because my life is a signboard for the perfect patience of God. Your life is a signboard for the perfect patience of God, not good doctrine, that's not what He's grateful for, not a great understanding of all the minutia in Scripture, not that you can say all the books of the Bible forwards and backwards, but that your life is a great signboard for the mercy of God. And by the way, there there is no signboard seafood, but there's no such thing as a no signboard Christian. You will be putting something on display. But but here's what the apostle says. You know, this is extraordinary. That that he asked me just to simply put his mercy on display. That's easy for me. But in the middle of that, suddenly he, he bursts out in praise. I know Singapore is better at this than my people. My my people are not good at praise. And in fact, when we have a debriefing, what we really mean is we wanna talk about what went wrong and who's to blame. So, So my people, talking about Canada, we are competitive criticizers. Unfortunately, no Olympic event for criticism. When, when, when we do a debriefing, if somebody in the room was suddenly to say, hey, but didn't Eugene do a great job? I mean, Canadian Eugene, not Singaporean Eugene, because this is just an illustration. I was so pierced through by the way he delivered God's Word. Suddenly, there would be this awkward silence until Canadian Eugene would say, oh, no, no, it was nothing. Uh, my delivery was poor, blah, blah, blah. Then everybody feel relieved. <laughs> That's how awkward praise is right? But, but do, you, do you see what's happening right here? The Apostle Paul is in the middle of a deep theological treatise. He, he's in the middle of mentoring his young disciple, Timothy, who's pastoring a church, and he, he's so overwhelmed by the theological conviction that he has received mercy, suddenly praise interrupts to the King of Ages, Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you feel that way when you consider you are an object of His mercy? Does this praise just want to awkwardly interrupt your conversation? This is what is happening in real time as the Apostle Paul writes this letter. I need to go quickly. This is why Pharisees can't praise. They don't don't praise because they have merit. This is why they stand up, boldly look at God, and praise Him for not being like all the other people who are the objects of His mercy. They're not the objects of God's mercy because they're objects of their own merit. I don't want to be that way. I want to enjoy the unmerited favor and mercy of this God who pours out His affection on His people. Finally, good behavior is the fruit of our faith. I'm looking at my notes, I have no idea where I'm at. This charge, after this outburst of interrupting praise, he gathers his thoughts and says, now Timothy, my child, according to the word or the prophecies previously made about you, prophecy being God has laid his hand on you, the ordination of this young man, Timothy, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What is blaspheming? Blaspheming is not getting the connection between our birth, our rebirth, and our behavior. You see this this little phrase he actually borrows from Pastor Eugene's message last week. In verse 5, he says, The aim of our charge is this, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then again in verse 19, Wage good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. There's a connection between what I believe and how I behave. Most of us do not feel guilty because we had a bad, bad idea. No, nobody's going to go to jail because you believe something wrong. It's not until my idea and my belief fruits out in bad behavior that then I stay up all night. Oh, why did I say that? You, you, see, you, you see, it's bad behavior and belief if we don't get the connection and how closely they are tied to the inner being of who I am. That's why the apostle Paul constantly reminds them, let that old man die. I am crucified with Jesus Christ. It's no longer I who lives. Understand that crucifixion was not the same as execution, right? A man would hang there for days. A month except in Jewish territory where it was work to stand up and so soldiers were commanded break the legs. Let them die. And loved ones would come and soak a sponge in in, in wine and hold it up so that their loved one wouldn't get dehydrated and they would put bread up to them. You know, that is torment. That's why for 15 years I lived with that kind of torment because I didn't want the old Ian to die. And all of my behaviors were coming out of the corpse of the old man. Stop dragging him around. Release Him and let the Spirit of Christ inform our behaviors. It's something we have to constantly talk about. And that's why the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 had to write the Corinthian church because they had begun to believe, Lord's Supper Sunday is a good place to go when you're hungry. Now, if you're feeling bad and need to sleep something off, come and keep celebrating the blood of Jesus until you're in a deep spiritual coma. And that's why the apostle wrote them and said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, not if you think about it, but if it fruits out into this unworthy behavior, You'll be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let us then examine ourselves. I want us to give us that moment right now as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Thinking now, right beliefs and right behaviors, they're connected. Can I just say, I'm not really sure where the idea comes from. That if you've had a wrong idea and it fruited out into wrong behavior this week, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. But I know where this idea comes. Examine ourselves. And in this moment, say, oh God, I'm sorry. Take this moment to prepare to come to the table. No matter where you've been this week, no matter what you've done. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing magical is going to happen with this bread. It's not the way we receive Jesus. So, so I encourage you, don't take this opportunity. If you're not a believer in Him, you're not going to get another God by taking Him in. You, you will take in a dry biscuit that's not that tasty, I'll be honest, and a little bit of juice. If you're not a believer, just, just let it go by. But if you consider yourself to be a part of the church of God, this is a time that we gather as God's people, and we say, oh God, I need to do some business with you. So we take this moment. I'm going to ask Pastor Eugene and Sam to come and join me at the front. Those of you who are helping us serve, you come now. And let's prepare ourselves to come to the table. Because as we do, we remember how much mercy cost our Lord. We come grateful because we remember how much it cost him. Father God,